There was a guy in 404 A.D. He was an elderly monk, as the story goes, and his name his name was Telemachus. 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 That's a better way to put it. And he found himself in a unique situation in Rome, serving as a monk, as he made his way to the Colosseum one day. When he got to the Colosseum, he witnessed the brutality. A common everyday event there was that gladiators would come into this Colosseum and fight one another to the death. Gladiators got famous. They could have sort of a good life up until the day they gave their life. And when he saw this taking place, it overwhelmed him, Telemachus, and he was overcome with emotion. And so he found himself scaling down the wall from the stadium and going down to the floor of the Colosseum. And, and, and the crowd is roaring during this bloody, horrible contest. And these two individuals are fighting, and there's this kind of pandemonium going on. And he got himself between the fighters. He tried to, this little elderly guy, he, and he pushed them apart. And as he did... He yelled out, of course, in Latin, but he said something to this effect, in the name of Christ, forbear. In other words, in the name of God, stop this. And he did it again. And he screamed passionately and cried out and pushed them aside. And the story says the, the fighters sort of moved away and allowed him to be in the middle of them, and he yelled it out again. But the crowd got upset so upset that they started throwing rocks at him, and they eventually killed him. Now, the story says that once they recognized what they had done, because by this time in history, Rome was a Christian land, lots of Christians, the crowd became quiet. And it says they left the stadium slowly, just walked out. And when the emperor heard about it, he saw this gentleman as a hero, and it is said he put an end to the gladiator games forever. And this gentleman was appointed as a saint because of his humanity and truth. Now, this was a horrible situation to be in, and this guy did a massively brave thing. But what he did was an act of passion. He was overwhelmed because he had a set of convictions in him about how people should behave. He had a set of beliefs inside of him that already stated that this is not right for these individuals to kill themselves while we watch and consider it sport. It bothered him. This place of murder and horror, history says, was shut down because of this one aging guy's act of passion. History was changed because of an act of passion. And guys, that's what passion can do in our lives. Passion can cause things to happen. Passion can accomplish things. Passion can push humans to do things they would never consider if they didn't have this strong set of convictions on deep inside of them. And the story of Noah, by the way, is one huge act of passion. It really is. It's passion on God's part, and it's passion on the part of this guy named Noah. 
And for those that may not remember or know, way back in ancient times, Noah was handpicked by God to build an ark, a boat, a place of safety, to become this place where Noah and his family could go into and be saved because God was going to bring a flood and literally destroy every living thing on earth. And God used Noah and his family to reboot living creatures on earth, all part of the plan of God, a massive story. And a few weeks ago, I mentioned this word, passion, in my sermon, and I mentioned how I saw it as something really important for us to jump into. So that's what I want to talk about today, because you know what? Nothing in life is ever done without passion. Nothing great, at least. You know, I, I, I love my family. I love my wife. I, I, I do, and we had a wonderful time together on the boat, and there's a set of convictions in me about, namely, how beautiful she is, how much I like her, how much I love her. So I found myself, as we are alone and on this beautiful place, just falling more and more in love with her because there's a set of convictions in me that I already felt, but sometimes in the busyness of life, those convictions sort of don't come out like they should, right? You know what I'm talking about? We're just busy and we live in our routines. And Beth and I do that. We just get in the routine of everything going on. My head is always somewhere else. And that's a big complaint sometimes, dads, even for moms too, that you just don't seem very present. Even though there are some convictions in us, sometimes those convictions don't come out. So it's important for us to refuel ourselves and, and find ourselves in, in a place, especially with God, where that passion actually comes out. Some of you in this room have built wonderful businesses because you have passion. Emily loves a good cookie. She has a passion about cookies. Everybody like cookies? She does too, and she makes them. She has a passion for making them. Steve is an attorney who has a passion about really helping people, and hundreds and thousands of people, Steve, have been helped because you have a passion to take your time, to be a part of a story with a family, a business, a corporation, and move through them slowly. I could look around this room today and talk about all of you in some way or another, but passion plays a part in your life. And you may not know it was that, and you may not even feel like it's still there, but you know what I'm talking about. And I pray that you get in touch with some of your passion today, especially when it comes to God. I pray you get in touch with your passion about your wife, your husband, your friends, your family, but especially God. We need to be a passionate people in our culture today. We really do. There's passions for all sorts of things. You can be passionate about OSU. You can paint yourself completely orange. Take off your shirt. Paint yourself orange. Rick does this. Paint yourself orange <laughs> and go to a football game and cheer for the cowboys, and people will not think you're crazy. Not completely. But if you did the same thing in the name of Jesus, somebody would probably be offended. I don't know what color you would paint yourself to be Jesus, but I'm telling you, that could bother somebody. But people live out passion. It takes passion, Rick, to take your shirt off and paint it orange and go to those games. I've never seen him do it. I've just heard about it. While on our cruise, Alex and I uh, went up to the gym. It was a lot of fun to work out a little bit. and I do the elliptical, and both of us noticed this gal on a treadmill running. Remember, Alex? And when we got there, she was pumping. She was running. And I mean, 
really running. And we worked out. We did our entire workout. And as we're leaving and we're huffing and blowing, she's still running. It was incredible. She's like some super human lady. I could tell this lady likes to run. She has, I'm not running like that. That's not happening. I don't have any passion for running. The elliptical is about all I got. And she has a passion for it. I mean, she, it was just really, we were both impressed with her. And we left, we passed her, we saw her running, and it was crazy. And we sort of said, that's kind of unbelievable. She's sort of like superhuman. Well, she has passion about it. She wants something that that, that is inside of her. Something inside of her has a conviction that that's something she needs to do. And so she's faithful to it. She, she believe, it's more than just belief, see. Everybody in this room knows that exercise is good for you. By raising up the hand, how many of you know it's, it's good for you? 100%. How many of you exercise? Don't raise your hand. How many of you actually do it? It's a passion. It's a, takes a passion to go beyond belief and actually live something out like that. I hope you have a passion about something in your life, and I really hope you have a passion about your faith because I truly believe God has called us to be passionate people. And I think Noah was one of those. And I think it's a very, very biblical idea. One day a fellow was thinking about what's important in life and what is most important in life. And he was wondering what Jesus thought. And maybe he was trying to trick Jesus, we think, but also maybe he was giving it some thought. But he asked Jesus really basically, what is the single greatest principle ever given as a commandment? In its purest form, what's the most important thing that he needed to know about life? And Jesus gave him what I have come to see, and I share this scripture a lot because I think it's so important, but Jesus gave him what I've come to see was a, a an answer filled with deep emotion. And here's part of what Jesus said. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he said this to the man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The message version of the Bible is, is, has an interesting take on it. It says this, Love the Lord God with all your passion, and prayer, and intelligence, and energy. Okay, just take that all in. That's a command from our Lord of passion. It's about something that should consume us, about something that should be burning inside of us. It's a call to a life where our heart is engaged, our spirit is engaged, our energy is engaged, our inertia is engaged in this thing called faith, in this thing called following Christ. And clearly, clearly the Bible calls us to be passionate in how we follow God. Now, I've already said passion is important in everything. It's, it's important in relationships. It's important in exercise. It's important in our careers. But it's especially important to our faith. And if you look up synonyms for the word for our English word called passion, you'll see all kinds of wonderful words. And some of them that I took down include blazing. I like that. Charged. Red hot. Unrestrained. Those are other words, synonyms for passion. And God wants to see that unrestraintness, that red hotness surge through us in everyday living. 
so that our faith is charged up and it's open and it's out there and it's pushing us toward things. See, I think God is telling us in Mark 12 that love for Him should never be detached. It should never be impersonal. It's meant to be emotional. It's meant to be truthful. It's meant to be intellectual. It's meant to consume our hearts and our minds and the way we live. You know, if I never, ever said to Beth, I love you, if I never looked across the room and thought she was pretty, if I never hoped for just a moment in time when I might give her a hug and maybe a kiss, that would be a sad life. Sad life. That would be a sad marriage. Yet we can move toward that in our marriages. And we can move toward that in our faith. And guys, that is the principal reason we sing songs as people in church. Songs kind of bypass our minds and they sort of get to some emotion and they help trigger some important things. Now there's some important words we're, we're singing. We want to sing truth to God. We want to talk about things to the Lord and to others as we sing that are truthful. But songs touch our hearts. And you'll see us. You'll see Beth raise her hand. You'll see me close my eyes and while I'm playing my guitar, try to find a way to connect with God without noticing that you're there. And it's impossible. As I told you a couple weeks ago, I'll just forget where I am and it'll get really weird. But I love to just get alone with God and just be passionate with Him. Sing to Him. I love that He's been good to me. And that song always touches my heart. But often it's not the case People often tend to want God in our lives, but find it kind of just a reserved, sort of ho-hum, tempered kind of a thing. Not hot. And I've had times like that. I've had times when my faith was a little dull, when I really wasn't all that excited about it, maybe not excited about going to church, maybe not excited about serving. I've had moments like that, moments when my spiritual life was just a little off. I was missing something. And when those times arrive, it's harder. It's harder to take action. It's harder to want to do what God wants for us, like sharing our faith or serving others or giving. And so I hope today, guys, if you're struggling with passion, for God. I hope that you'll take some time today. Let something sink in that might help you, recharge you, ignite you again. Because guys, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in our lives that we feel passion. And guys, it's a big deal to a lost and dying world that's around us. That people see us with our shirts off, painted for Jesus. People need to see that. And I pray that our church is a place of passion for God. There's definitions of passions you can look up in the dictionary. There's lots of them, but there's two that usually come up. One is just simply strong and barely controllable emotion. Hard to control passion. And you're also going to see another one that's very interesting that's related to Jesus, and it's called the passion and death of Christ. That's oftentimes found in a dictionary. And so this concept of passion popped up in my mind and heart when I took in two of the verses in this wonderful story about Noah. Genesis 6 and 6 was the first place passion came to my mind. It says this, The Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth, and His heart was deeply troubled. Now everything about that is emotional. Everything about that is passionate. 
A God that doesn't care wouldn't be upset. A God that wasn't deeply involved wouldn't care what people are doing. But also Hebrews 11 and 7, as it refers back to Noah, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. As I said a couple of weeks ago, those are passionate terms, passionate phrases. There's an emotional tone in each of these verses. And in one we see what we identify as a hurt in God's heart. And, and we see in one translation the word regret. That's a word of passion. That's a charged up word. When you feel regret, you have a hard time controlling a feeling. And the Hebrew word from which we get regret could also be uh, mourning or grieving. Also emotional words. Grief. It's impossible to hold back deep grief because it just erupts in us. My mom died many years ago now, uh, 20, 20 years. And when I go back to her grave, it's like it just happened. I look at her tombstone and I just feel again that day, that Saturday morning when I was called to the nursing home and she had passed on and I saw her lying there and tears came to my eyes. I'll go back to that grave and feel my passion about her loss over and over. It never stops. It's not like it was the first day it happened, but it always come back. I read her name. I see the rose that's there on her little plaque and I see the years that she lived. I remember that day I remember that moment I heard about her and I saw her. It's a moment of passion. That's grief. You can't stop things like that if you're human. It's just part of us. Now, when I read that about God, I paused a little bit because I wanted to sort of understand how is it that God could regret? How is it that God could grieve? How is it that God would mourn. That's a pretty stunning kind of thing to take in, and it reveals something to us under the surface about God, something living about God, something tender about God. And I wonder, what could that mean? What does that mean when it says He grieved? What's that mean to us? What's it mean to me? I mean, the Word of God teaches us that God is perfect in every way. He is. And we have to understand something. God is not a human. Okay, we, we talk about him. The Lord teaches us about him in human terms. He gives us human-like traits in Scripture in order to explain something about him and for us to connect to him. And that's the only way we in our simple state of mind could understand him. But I want you to understand, he's not human. He's God. He's in his own category, whatever that is, spirit, amazing mind control and ability, all those things, none of which would really do justice to a definition. But I want you to understand this about him. He did not make a mistake, and he's not repenting in the sense that we do. Okay? That moment is given us, I believe, to give us insight into God's character. And that is also in his, the sophistication that God built into us. Even the power he's given us in as his creation to self-regulate and have choice to have free will that's a that's an amazing concept that god would give a creation free will you have a choice to reject god 
You have a choice to make decisions every day. You, nobody is a robot. That's amazing to me. And in that self-regulation that he gave us, that free will, the personal choice, the power given to us as he creation, as his creation, God then faced the devastating influence of sin on us as we chose it. Not his mistake. Built into our ability to choose. That's complicated. That's majestic to me. It tells me this for sure. Sin grieves the heart of God. That's what caused that whole thing to take place. That's why the boat occurred, so that God could try to find a way to get us back to Him, to forgive this state of sin. It caused us suffering for Him. And so in the story of Noah, some ten generations after Adam, God's now setting the stage the stage for salvation to come to this sin dilemma. And all of that is deeply set in this huge bowl, I call it, of God's passion. And that would then set the stage for the passion of Christ. So when we read about Noah, as he's called out on God, he acted out of holy fear. I see that emotion there, this reverent fear, this holy respect for God. When God spoke to Noah God had a genuine belief. He had a set of convictions inside of him that God was superior and it was God's divine right to be able to tell him what to do. He had a commitment to an obedience to God. He had an unquestioning acceptance of God's sovereignty. Do you have that in your life? An an unwavering belief that God is sovereign, that God's decisions are good. It's amazing how much Noah believed in him. This Amazing thing that God called him to do in this genuine human love that he also had, Noah did, for his family. And truly, this became the most important thing in his life, to build this ark. It became a work of passion, to do it for God, to honor God, to be obedient to God, to love God through it, and save his family. That flips my trigger right there. Saving my family. And I assume he did this while raising his crops and Farming to keep everybody alive. So he had two jobs that God had given him to do on this earth. Those were jobs of passion. And that became the dividing line between him and the rest of the world. And so when I see that emotion, I can't help but admire Noah even more at this moment in his story. He's no longer just a kind of a cartoon Bible character or, you know, a VBS costume. We almost make fun of Noah sometime, you know, the way we depict him. He's an amazing dude. He's a real man in my mind now as I read this at this point. He's got passion. He's got person, purpose. He's devoted to God and he's devoted to a family. I admire that. I can relate to that because that's what I want to be. I want to be that. I want to be faithful to God. I want to be faithful to my family. To be faithful to God is a great blessing to our families. And our faithfulness to God sets the stage, hear me, for their salvation. Don't ever forget that, parents and parents-to-be. We're about to have four babies in our little church. Four babies. It's exciting. We're going to be having babies all summer. Four of them. Raise them up in the fear of God. Those parents now are going to go about building their family as an ark so that God's ways and words can be passed on and save their children. There's another definition of passion that I love, and it it was simply this, to be affected by. That's what it was, just to be affected. Isn't that great? 
To believe in God, to have fire for God means we're affected. It influences us. Noah heard from God, and he didn't ignore it. He was, he was affected by it. He felt the words of God. Many people hear the words of God, and they just think of them as interesting, good philosophy, comforting. Read some scripture. It's a funeral. Get a pastor to come and say something nice that will bring us comfort. That's what people do sometimes. Something to think about what Jesus said. Nice goal. But if we're people who have a passion for God, then we're influenced by what God says. We hear God's voice in the Scripture, and it matters to us. And that becomes the dividing line between us and others also. The Scripture says in John 15, 19, Jesus said to his followers, You do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of it. In other words, I've taken you out of it. And that's why the world hates you. They don't like you because you're different. There's a dividing line in you. They're going to see your passion, and they're not going to like it. Some are because they're also passionate followers, but some will not like it. Jesus said he took us out of the world. He picked us. And to, to me, that means he's grabbed us out of that influence, and he gave us something else to live for, and I sure love it. And he then becomes our influence. And what he says matters. I marvel at the words of Jesus. I really do. I don't always get what he wanted me to get. Uh, It takes a while sometime for it to take change in my life. But for sure, guys, I'm telling you what Jesus says, I listen to. What the Lord speaks about, I try to hear. And when the Holy Spirit is moving in my heart, I try, I try to listen. Because when you're influenced by God, that may frustrate people around you. Because people like to have power over other people. That's a cultural norm, right? Society and culture tries to make us all the same. Tries to make us like everybody else. That's why I wear the style of clothes I wear, because I'm influenced by the culture around me. Otherwise, I'd have bell bottoms on from 1976. If I really did what I thought was cool... I'd still have my afro. It's a ton of pressure out there, though, for us to look differently and even to look rather like other people. We see it socially. While I was sitting on the beach, sitting comfortably under a cabana during my trip, we were in some port, and the host, he's such a nice Hispanic man, he came to me and he said, I want to, let me get you something to drink. And I said, no thanks. And he started applying pressure. He goes, why you don't drink? Was that Mexican or what was that? Russian? We heard all kinds of accents. The one that impressed us the most was the Nigerians. So all week long, Beth and I are talking like this all day. But he comes to me and he says, how come you don't drink? Come on, enjoy. I said, I don't drink. I said, I don't judge other people to drink. I don't tell them. People can drink. That's okay. But I choose not to. I'm a pastor. And so I think it's better if I don't. His entire countenance changed. He went, oh, a pastor. Oh, I'm so honored. And he shook my hand. I said, I don't get that reaction very much. (laughs) And for the rest of the day, I heard whispers from all the people around me. They were talking about me. And people brought, uh, this guy brought a mango to me. He says, hola, pastor. And I'm like, 
this is what it's like to people to love you. This is awesome. And so a gentleman, you know, people came over and just wanted to talk to me and call me pastor. And when we left, this host led us through these streets of Mexico. You know, it was like being in a movie set and literally telling people around us that I was a pastor as he took us to our taxi. And there was a group of people standing on the porch, you know, kind of looking at us. And they said something to us in, in Spanish. And I don't know what he told them, but it sounded like he said, shut up, dude, he's a pastor. And they all went, oh, pastor. That felt good. I never get that in Edmond. <laughs> never. At a restaurant. I'm a pastor. So, what do you want to drink? Being different for me that day was actually kind of nice. It, it felt, I, I appreciated being honored. It was kind of nice. Very nice people. It wasn't good for Noah, though, and usually it's not that way for us. People often assume, for my case, that I'm going to judge them. That I'm going to put them down because they're having, that's not how I feel. Or I'm going to be sort of inhuman and holy. Yet i got to say, on a larger scale, having passion for Jesus is still so important. And it really felt good that day to be able to tell others that I was a pastor and they liked it. It was pretty awesome. So I spoke to a couple from Mexico City about Jesus and Christ and they serve and what they believed. So much fun. Because often the pressure is the other way around. But thankfully I have the Holy Spirit in me to fuel me from the inside out and allow that passion for God to rise up. That's what Noah did. Passion is more, like I said, than liking something. You can like something a lot. You can find it interesting, but that doesn't mean you're passionate about it. Romans 12 and 1 says... Don't ever lack for zeal when it comes to God. Keep your spiritual fervor. Keep it alive. Stay hot for God. That scripture is telling us to be a little extreme. You can't be intense about everything, guys. You don't spend passion on everything, but God calls us to be passionate about our faith. Noah had never been in a flood. He didn't know anything about that. And he was about to experience something for years and years and years and years that was put off. And during that whole time, he had to maintain the fervor to keep going to Home Depot and buying all the nails and and getting the wood and doing the job that God has called him to do. I know, I know this. He had something happening inside of him that called him to know that other people were not going to set the expectation for what was true and what was good for him. And so I want to tell you this in your notes if you're taking them. Remember, your life is not limited by human expectations, but God's. Your life is not determined by the expectations of others, not for the big stuff, but by God. Human limits and definitions and expectations don't set the bar for the believer in Christ. God does. God does. He set it for Noah. He set it for me, and he set it for you. Spiritual passion is amazing, and it fueled Noah. And that's what I see in the story that really touched me. Colossians 3 and 23 calls us to be passionate by saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, anything that you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. See it? This is where it gets kind of practical, a way to live out our passion. I mean, God has never asked me to build a bowl to save the world. I believe it happened. I have a lot of mundane things that I do in my life. 
And even in those mundane things, God calls me to be passionate and to do it for Him. Passionate. Passionate. See, sometimes I feel we draw too much of a dividing line between the secular and the spiritual. And when you're a believer in Christ, everything in your life, including making cookies, can take on spiritual meaning. Everything. What about mowing the lawn? What about that same drive to the same office every day? God says that if your heart pushes you toward Him, even those things are done for Him. I believe that. God says, put your mind on me. Do it for me. Mow the lawn for me. Drive to the office for me. It's amazing what God can do for a person who's looking for God in everything we do. So how do we do it? How do we wrap this up today? I'm going to offer two basic biblical ideas. There are many more that we could have, but there's two. And the first is this. Erase that line between the secular and the spiritual in your life. Don't have a line. That statement may bother some people. I get that. But I've already been talking about how God calls us to see everything that we do as for Him. And that's a challenge for us sometimes because we often tend to compartmentalize God. That God is for that, but not for this. I'm a God guy here, but I'm not a God guy here. That's important. There's my Sunday life, and then there's the rest of the week. You know what I'm talking about. And, and again, some of that rest of the week stuff is pretty mundane, so it's hard to even think that you could be passionate about taking care of your home or running an errand for your companion. But you never know where the mundane living is going to take you. You've got to remember, Moses was just tending to his sheep, doing his job. He had clocked in. It was a regular day. He had his lunch pail with him, wasn't expecting anything new to happen. And a burning bush showed up. He wasn't at church. He wasn't in a Bible study. He was just doing life. God is everywhere. He was out there in the desert for him. So think about what Colossians is trying to teach you. And let me ask you this. Was the act of building a giant ship, collecting animals, pulling all those tools together, cleaning the sticky pitch off his hand, was that a spiritual activity? Noah's everyday job is one of the most talked about activities in the history of the world. The dude that built a boat for the flood. We teach kids about it. We honor Noah in lots of ways. We sing songs about Noah. He built him. He built him an arky, arky. Remember that? VBS. Kids know that. What are they talking about when they talk about Noah? Building an ark. You know what we don't talk about Noah? It's his sermons. Supposedly there were a ton of them. Supposedly he was the world's first evangelist. But he didn't do it through sermons. I believe he was preaching. He was talking to his neighbors. Uh, there's a hundred, the Bible indicates that he was out there. Second uh, Peter 2 and 5 says, uh, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, and he calls him a preacher of righteousness. Preacher. That's amazing. 
I believe he did speak to people. I believe he did defend what he was trying to do. The Bible's not very clear about it. But we don't read his words because God called him to build a boat. It's amazing to me. We learn about his day time. So, And clearly, it's one of the most spiritual things that's ever happened on this earth. And it led to the restart of the human race and the reframing of a story of salvation for humankind. Amazing. So maybe it wasn't his words at all, but rather just his work as a carpenter that convicted the world around him. It's amazing. See, people. some people can't understand that because during the week, those things don't seem to matter. I'm telling you, they do. Let them. Pray about everything, the Bible says. And let everything you do be done for God. And when you do that, when you challenge that, when you merge that, laughter and work becomes spiritual. Dinner with family becomes spiritual. Time with a friend becomes spiritual. The mundane becomes spiritual and magnificent. So that's the first thing I want to suggest to you today that I believe will bless your life with more passion. Bring God into everything you do. And if you're nervous about bringing God into some area of your life, then that's an area to let the Holy Spirit guide you and teach you about. Bring Him into it. But also this, here's the second point. Never forget Christ's passion for you. Bring God into every part of your life. I think it'll help your passion. But two, don't forget how passionate Christ is for you. It's no coincidence that the week of Christ's death, the week before Easter, is called Passion Week. It's called that because during that week, Jesus revealed this deep-seated, heartfelt passion for us. He let it out, and he gave his life. I'm telling you, it was an emotional time for Jesus. The Bible says he's praying so fervently that he sweated, and the sweat became mixed with blood. That's a passionate moment. The apostles freak out. They start denying him. There's all sorts of human things going on because it's passionate. It's frightening. It's real. It's big. It's emotional and brutal and hard. The death of Christ. He was beaten. He was abused. He was kept awake. He was made to carry his own cross. He was pushed around and ultimately murdered. And I know that we often say, that one sin, no one sin is worse than the other, that all sin matters, and that's true. But if there is a worst sin in the Bible, it, it's not adultery, it's not murder, but it's to not care about what Christ has done for us. That's a horrible thing to let happen in your life. Jesus warned the churches in Revelation. I read this passage last time, Revelation 3 where this letter to these churches of challenge says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, not hot, not cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's a passionate statement. Because to be lukewarm and indifferent, to act if it doesn't matter, to ignore what Christ has done, to be so preoccupied with the temporary things of life around us that we just have a ho-hum connection to God, God help us all. 
To me, the worst sin is indifference. Plain and simply being indifferent. Don't be indifferent about your wife. Don't be indifferent about your kids. Don't be indifferent about your work. But especially, don't be indifferent about Jesus. This is amazing. Amazing. On the eve of his death, he gathered his apostles around them, and we talk about this every time we have communion. And the big thing that he said to them, he explained it. He explained how there's salvation and what's about to happen. And then he said, don't forget it. Remember this. When I baptized uh, a few weeks ago, Eli is not here today. He, he said simply why he was being baptized. He said, because of what God has done for me. That's a great answer. It's a great answer. God passionately created this world, and God passionately gave us a plan to be saved from the bad parts of it. Noah passionately cut wood. Noah passionately built a boat so that God's plan could be fulfilled. Christ passionately gave his life. And let me tell you something. Christ walks passionately by your side every day. He's always engaged. He doesn't need a trip to Cancun to be excited about you. He loves you right now, deeply, and he's never forgotten his death. He doesn't hold it over you, but it's still part of his story for you and for me in this world. Psalm 121 says, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Jesus never takes a vacation, never takes a break, never, never, ever, ever is indifferent. Never doesn't care. Every minute, his passion never wanes for you and me. Never. So plain and simply this, guys, today, don't feel bad about what I'm saying. Just let it be awake. The Holy Spirit is already telling you what you need to do. God's already at work. Let the Holy Spirit, if, if you're struggling to be passionate in your faith, let the Holy Spirit share some of his passion with you. He will. He loves you so desperately. Where in your life do you need to see passion reawakened? That's what I care about today. And I'm telling you, whatever your marriage needs, whatever your job needs, whatever your life needs, your single life, your life as a mom or a dad, it all begins with spiritual passion. Let's pray, guys. Thank you so much, Lord. Your word is incredible. Just incredible. I would say it's hard to believe, God, but, but it's, it's hard for me to accept sometimes how much you do for me that I ignore.